Good afternoon, everyone, and good evening to our speaker. Um, welcome to today's session. This will be our first installment in the lessons learned in low and middle income countries during the COVID-19 pandemic speaker series. Uh, my name is Dr. Yifoma Nuigwe, and I'm the president of the African Public Health Network. And we're here today to invite our first speaker in the series, um, Dr. Inameka Ndodu, and he will be sharing with us his experience um, and the lessons that he's learned through this pandemic. Um, and in particular, he'll be focusing on the future of disease surveillance and LMICs after COVID-19. Um, I think this will be a very impactful session um, given um, Dr. Emeka's position at Nigeria Center for Disease and Control. So with that, I will turn this over to Dr. Emeka. Thank you so much, Dr. Ifoma. It's been so wonderful. So in fact, I, I count it very honorable to join this elite group of people. I'm excited to be part of this um, uh, today's uh, event and um, for remembering us, for seeing what you have done. We are so grateful and um, I wouldn't, without wasting much time, it will be a, a lot of extemporaneous uh, speeches uh, coupled with a little bit of uh, a lot of presentation and the focus will be what we have been able to do so far and as in the Nigerian Center for Disease Control, um, particularly the genomics lab. I am Dr. Nemeka Ndondo. I lead the genomics and sequencing work, which couldn't have been possible if not um, the COVID. You know, although we have been making a lot of efforts, uh, which we couldn't get um, ever, uh, much fruition, but COVID, uh, which was meant to be a dangerous uh, thing, was meant to be a very bad omen. Uh, to some extent, uh, really helped to build quite a lot of strength and capacity, which we didn't know we, we, we really had before. So I would like to share my slide. Uh, yeah, okay. Can, can you allow me to share my slide? Yes, you should be able to share. Okay. So can you see see my slide? Okay, maybe let me put it on slideshow. So the future of disease surveillance in LMICs after COVID nineteen. So I, I will I will say that the future for us is the use of genomic surveillance, and um, I think genomic surveillance will be a very good useful tool for us in Africa. And uh, we have seen that it is something that is worth the while for us. And investment in that um, has really helped us. As we talk, I will be able to explain what we have uh, seen. So the, we can say that uh, the SARS-CoV-2, we know that emerged from China in 2019. So, Genomic surveillance have been a wonderful tool 
to understanding is spread, as well as uh, uncovering various details that have been used in some or many public health decision making, which has also given leads to diagnostics and therapeutics, as well as vaccine. These are all products of genomics uh, surveillance. You can see that you, you early in the uh, pandemic, uh, as uh, towards the November 2019, uh, it was difficult to really understand how to target uh, SARS-CoV-2. But early sequences from China, Wuhan, was very useful in trying to uh, pin down, at least if, first of all, to even understand the spread, to understand what we are dealing with was information coming from sequencing data, which was when there was a, com uh, a kind of um, comparison between the sequences of this uh, new uh, uh, SARS-CoV and uh, coronavirus and the first uh, coronavirus we had in 2003. So genomic uh, surveillance was very useful. Sequencing was very useful in that. And all, all those early sequences were used to develop the various diagnostics that were used to target uh, SARS-CoV-2. And uh, the three key ones were the ones from the charity group, the, the Drustin group were able to uh, give us the e-gene RDRP targets from those early sequences. And we also had sequences from uh, Hong Kong University and that of uh, CDC. So then there are, these guys are shown, Maxine uh, Hibbard from the London School of uh, Tropical uh, Hygiene and Tropical Medicine was among the people who sequence the uh, 20, uh, 2003 SARS-CoV. They were able to do that in a space of, um, let's say, it, it took like three months to be able to do that. But with the advancements in technology, sequencing of the novel coronavirus was just a matter of weeks because of uh, the power of technology. So uh, genomics have been a, a very, it's a very, very routine, uh, it has been very, very central in global surveillance system. And what is, what we are doing currently in Nigeria is using this genomic surveillance to monitor the spread, monitor mutation, monitors what we're seeing happening in, in our country. And they are really paying off well. But I would also like to talk about some of the lessons, lessons we have learned from SARS-CoV-2 the pandemic, what have we learned so far? So one of the key things we have learned is from our own experience. The first thing we learned is that help may not always come from outside. We are used to having help. We are used to having help from outside our shores and we really appreciate. Thank, uh, thank God that we had this uh, help before the COVID came. You can see one of our very trusted colleague and our partner uh, preparing the ground before the, the, the pandemic came. That was when we started having contacts uh, with, uh, with sequence using Minion. So, but that help was there, but we never knew that the help would not come. When the pandemic came and borders were closed and we were left to deal with issues on our own. So again, things was, what we also learned is that things, things don't seem the way, uh, don't, uh, don't, Things don't seem the way they appear, or they don't look the way they seem, right? So we had there were a lot of uh, prediction. There were bleak prediction of doom for Africa. 
in particular in Nigeria, expectation was that African streets will be littered with body bags on the account of COVID. But we were scared as we saw strong health system collapse from Italy to London, from America and even to India. But Africa seemed to have survived. But not all of Africa. But uh, that's from in that scenario, we say we learned that things don't really always seem the way they appear. You know, the question had been asked as to the magic wand or the silver bullet that guaranteed the so-called escape. But I know that nothing in the climate nor in science can truly explain the outcomes. But our response also saw some unusual characteristics that we are not used to as such. So what am I explaining? I am telling you that uh, uh, what's really captivated my interest was the caption of this uh, talk, lesson learned from COVID-19. So we, we learned that, you know, there were a lot of prediction that Africa will not survive this, but surprisingly we emerged and we don't really still understand, we're trying to understand. But we took some unusual responses that this time is not sufficient to explain how many of us um, uh, got involved. And by gradually building a health system, having a visionary leadership in some, uh, in the, particularly in the health sector, uh, we prepared before the rainy day came. That was really what saw what, what we did. There were a lot of um, uh, ways in particular in Nigeria Center for Disease Control, try to mitigate the impacts, the use of technology, the use of social media, the use of uh, radio communication to be able to disseminate, to actually make people, because people in Africa tend not to take this thing seriously. They believe in, they were not real. There were a lot of conspiracy theory, but we using SMS, using every opportunity to really let them understand that this is serious. And we were also very, very, lucky or do i say unlucky <laughs> because of the unusual government buy-in as covid initially was thought to be an ex exotic exported uh, infection traceable only to the high and mighty in the society do you understand so initially uh, we were like we started off with a drug you know there was initial drug in our in our response and uh, <laughs> but later it became response like no other Isolation centers, we are usually, uh, we use makeshift something for isolation center. But shortly with involvement of echelon, the top echelons of the, of, the, of the people, now we knew that the pandemic were really serious and a real issue and nobody could be, uh, uh, could be uh, nobody is permitted to, anybody could be a victim. So massive investments were made by corporate entities, highly placed personalities. In fact, some people were donating high-rise buildings. Initially, it was the makeshift buildings, but later they had to donate hotels, uh, you know, very, very steady, and a lot of things were now used for us to uh, really respond. Corporate ent entities donated food, donated a lot of things to really uh, mitigate the effect of the pandemia, you know, pandemic. So this was how, it, uh, how, we, how we did it. In view of the above, we learned that predictions are not always correct. So you are interested in the lessons we learned. So we learned that sometimes predictions are not always correct. Predictions are not always correct. Again, we also learned capacity built for one response can be used for multiple disease surveillance needs. So that's really what we are gaining from now. Because of COVID-19, quite unlike other climbs where investment, robust investment in, in, in health systems have been ongoing is a continuous stop. 
Africa and other developing countries, it, 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 the, the reverse is the case. But COVID made them to see the need to invest. So much was invested. If I begin to tell you how much went into investment, the amount of equipment, particularly building capacity. Initially, our labs were, like I said, the, the labs were very small. What did we learn from COVID? Our response, be prepared always. So build in-country capacity, no matter how small. No matter how small uh, uh, our capacity you have, just build it, start building it. In the wake of COVID-19, our molecular diagnostic response started from just one lab, then it moved to two, then three and four. And then now we have almost one, more than 170 labs, which was not there like two years or three years back. So what did we learn? We learn to build in-country capacity, you know? So, and those capacity now are used to engage in other things. We have seen many labs now coming to us and telling us, oh, we want to uh, go beyond COVID-19. We want to test um, uh, uh, Ebola. We want to test uh, Magbo. We want to test uh, Lhasa, which were things that were very difficult for people to uh, uh, test in Nigeria. But today we have many labs well-fitted, well-equipped to undertake other uh, emerging responses, uh, disease uh, challenges. So, so this is really very, very good for us. So from just one lab, our lab in, in uh, NRL Abuja, which where all the optimization was done, we now went to step up uh, the training, the, the training in Lagos, where the first case was detected. And from there, the fire continued and we kept turning Nigeria green and have all this molecular lab uh, set up. So we said, also build inside capacity. When no partner was left, we had to respond and drive our solution. Nobody was there. We are moving around. We are driving, driving the force, going to places, using plane, using. In fact, during shutdown, we had to. Sometimes the military had to uh, lift us to places, and sometimes we had to uh, engage, go to places where remote areas. Sometimes our men are bound pushing pushing their vehicle in some very ter terrible terrain, but we push to make sure we safeguarded the health of, of, of the nation. So during the lockdown, no partner could support us, but we rose to the occasion. So we learned that hair pass may not always come from our, hair pass may not always come from our side. So we plan to build what? Inside capacity, which we have done. So practical ways genomic surveillance has helped us. Now, if you look at this data, I will begin to share like I told you, uh, majorly data from our lab, what we have been doing, uh, particularly from the genomic side of it. So we 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 have seen geno genomics being applied. The data I'm sharing is raw from our lab, where we can use, you know, like I said, in this uh, era, we learned that we are not always going to receive. We cannot continue to be on the receiving end. We have to be part of people who are going to give. You know, we are used to downloading, downloading data, downloading information, downloading from GSET. Now we are actively involved in uploading, uploading to GSET. That's the application of our lab right now. We are always struggling to upload our data. So these ones are data we are not from anywhere, but these are data we are using to surveil what is happening in a university setting. We can use, we use this genomic data to really help practically to when we saw upsurge in, in, in Delta um, variant in a particular university, we want to really use, associate these data. These are very, very uh, unpublished data, which can show us what uh, practical ways genomes can use, 
tell us we, we can even have association of um, uh, you can see here we were able to look at um, infection monitor the infection in a close setting like a university look at what is happening in the uh, within the hostel we can also uh, happen what happened in the hostel outside the hostel and even in other location you know and you can also look at even the monitor the severity uh, cases of severity practical ways we can monitor the severity if you look at here you will see that the variant delta variant is dominating with a little uh, with uh, eta variant which, which we saw uh, in, during our second wave and here again you can see that we were able to also monitor the the level of severity you can see the yellow being mined and this is telling us that in our own country even though there were a lot of delta but there were very little cases of severity in this even in this context you can see only two of these ones showing severity you can see majority of them are were mild and then you can also see a moderate infection being plotted here so these are practical ways genomics was really helpful so i will continue to go back and show to you again what capacity built that the capacity built for one response can now be used for multiple disease surveillance needs right now we have now moved uh with the asset we developed for covid response now we are now using it for sequencing of cholera at the same time last year we we are having outbreak of cholera vibrant cholera and um, thanks to uh, johns hopkins university johns hopkins university school of public health uh, bloomberg school of public health have been a tremendous support to us and we can trace our uh, sequencing capacity to this group particularly the uh, Dr. Justin and the, uh, Dr. Uh, Shelley. Uh, Shelley uh, were very helpful. Uh, and now they're also interested. They've started uh, building the capacity of cholera sequencing in Nigeria. But today, those assets are now being used to monitor, to sequence our own in-house sequencing of the first cholera. About the first 50 isolates have been sequenced of the last outbreak in our in, in country right now in our lab. So this is really, really great. And that we are, this capacity now are being used for it. We are even sequencing E. coli, we are sequencing phages. We have planned to sequence um, yellow fever, monkeypox, Lassa, and all before the second quarter because we have built capacity for COVID and we are now using it. I'll be moving quickly to show you a bit of how our lab was. At the beginning, this was how it is. But right now, uh, we have, uh, uh, you can see our old uh, ABI at 100. And which we have now moved to yesterday, we installed an ABI 3500 uh, as well as six studio on the same day. And you can see this is an Illumina we're using to sequence. We are also using uh, Minion to sequence. And if you look back, more investment in, into genomics, we also have an iScan for microarray and other studies in our lab. So we are investing for future using genomics to really, really do uh, great things. So this was the pictorial attempts how we are making progress to get to where we are today. Now, how, where, how did the sequencing start? So we said that the first sequencing, the, the first SARS-CoV-2 was detected in Nigeria uh, on 27 February, 2020. And uh, after that, again, by 16 March, 2020, we did the first metagenomic sequencing and then of the index case and over 2 million tests, or more than 3 million tests right now, have been done in Nigeria. So far as of today, our sequencing efforts 
is being shown that the, uh, the first sequence we submitted to GSAID was on 27 December 2020. And by March, we had like only 15 uh, sequences submitted. But as of December 2020, we had eight, 891. By January 2020, we have 894. And as of today, we have 1,754 1, genomes submitted to GSAID. And these are some of the things we are seeing. In Nigeria, we have various, about five different labs having sequencing capacity. We have the Redimas University, we have the NRL, we have the University of Ibada, we have the Institute of uh, Medical Research in, uh, uh, in Lagos, as well as 54 gym. And they have various uh, uh, sequencing capacities, you know, and these are all being used uh, for our own purpose. So this is what we have, like I explained to you, and we also have plan to further invest in sequencing. We have an approval to acquire a PacBio SQL2, and over 6,000 10x genomic single cell uh, uh, platform, and quite a lot of other sequencing and proteomics and metabolomics platforms, which we have by in the next six months to take delivery to prepare to, uh, to continue our uh, disease surveillance needs. So these are what data we had during our early sequencing. These are showing the various uh, spike mutations we detected in our lab. So these are various clades we found in our lab. And we were also able to report the case of reinfection. We are the first, about second or so, to report these um, reinfection cases uh, from the sequencing side of it. So from the recent data, we are also using genomics now to monitor our uh, uh, the various uh, waves in our country. Uh, you can see here from this graph, you, you can see that this uh, early, early wave, the first wave, which had more of the parental lineages, and then you Dr. Mecca, it looks like there was an internet issue, so we're not able to hear you. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Sorry, you lost me briefly? Yes. Okay, okay, so let me just start sharing again. Okay, can you hear, can you see me, can you hear me now? Yes. All right, so, so I was showing the various lineages, um, the, the various uh, waves, the first wave and the second wave, which was led more by by eta variants, the, the alpha variants and the eta variants. And then you see massive, um, uh, uh, what Delta Delta was what dominated our uh, third wave. And right now we can see Omicron is the one that is uh, dominating uh, what we have. So 
So like I told you before, Africa will not always be on the downloading end. So as of today, this is uh, from the global uh, outlook. Like I said, Africa will not continue to be on downloading. We are now joining the group, the, 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 the global community to also uh, upload our data. Over 800 million, you can see, see the imbalance. Over 800, 8,752,000 as of today, uh, yesterday. And uh, Africa still struggles with 89,322 uh, sequences of SARS-CoV-2, and Nigeria has about 5,000 out of it. But before, I don't think we really have a, 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 like up to 100 or so, but we are continuously making progress with this. And then you can see here, uh, showing that Africa will not be at the back. You can see continuously African countries are struggling, doing everything to bridge the gap. South Africa continues to dominate with 31,000. Kenya follows with 6,000. Nigeria is the third with 5,000 uh, sequences to GSAID. So in our back also in Nigeria, you see that the, the out of the 5,000, we have the SG Africa in uh, 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 Mass University, uh, having over 2,000 sequences, and uh, we in Nigeria Center for Disease Control having 1,757 genome submitted to GSAID. So we have also detected other variants so far from Nigeria using the genomics uh, surveillance. We have detected alpha about 258 sequences, and beta variant did not succeed so much in Nigeria, maybe because of uh, uh, sequencing, uh, our sequence data, we knew that these were coming from South Africa, and uh, some public health response were made to make sure that uh, we contain that variant, that variant. And you can see it did not succeed seriously. Delta variant, because we did not know early, so we had preponderance of Delta variants coming to our country. We detected it retrospectively, and right, you can see about 2,295 of it. And you can see Omicron is surging. Since we detected Omicron in November, uh, first, uh, first week of the December, you can see we have now 888 in Nigeria. So, so these are the way, if you look at all the us, other African countries, you can see in, globally we have over 1.7 million cases of uh, Omicron, and uh, out of it, 13,960 have been detected in Africa. Uh, Botswana, South Africa, 7,000, Nigeria, about 88, like I said before. So this is the way, and this is also the global, how it appears on the global map. And um, uh, these are today we reported also detecting the BA. We are not used to having the our our the bulk of sequence uh, Omicron variant we have of the side uh, the sublineage BA1 and BA11. And today we reported detecting two of the BA2 variants in Nigeria. So so far this is the the total. In terms of uh, Omicron detected out of the 888, 791, 719 is from Nigeria Center for Disease Control and African uh, Nigeria Center for Disease, um, SG Redmond University has 165 genome uploaded to G6. So this is how they're spreading. We also use it to monitor what is happening in the states. So this is the way the states, you can see that FCT, maybe because of the presence of the uh, NRL at Abuja, we sequenced more of, most of the samples. We are now also saw in those states, they were reporting cases of um, mortality, you know, and severity. And we tried to sequence that. We saw that many of the cases were of Omicron. So we are still studying that, though we said that Omicron has no uh, severity, the less, 
drives um, uh, less uh, hospitalization, but uh, we're seeing something different in, in those states. So we are still doing that to be able to really know what is happening in that state using genomic uh, surveillance. So Delta, you can see how much of data we have and uh, that's really dominated what we have. So far, this is how it was. So now this also shows you, like I said, at the beginning, though our sequencing capacity was very low between the uh, March 2020 to uh, August 2020, which is the first wave. Here is the second wave where you have a lot of ETA variant, but ETA now have been replaced, uh, ETA and alpha variant. And right now you can see that the mid, this this one here is where you have the third wave of uh, in, in Nigeria, which is quite driven by Delta. And the beginning of the fourth wave we are seeing right now, which is now being championed by Omicron from our sequencing data. Now, this is a very interesting. This is also what we use to monitor uh, the variance, our monthly detection. Uh, you know, this, this is, we give this report every week to our government. So they, they, they use this data to inform. So like today we have to, this data was what was shared today to our government, you know? So you, you can see from January, 2021, you can see what we, what we had in Nigeria. Well, which was quite a lot of um, uh, the alpha variants. And then you can see a little bit of Delta retrospectively. And then you, you, you can see eta variants was much. And then there was this line that you call B11318 with the so-called Nigerian variant, which was quite similar to most of these uh, uh, variants. So we can see them dominating until around May and June when you saw quite a lot of um, Delta variant. Delta dominated the thinking and which constitute around our third wave. And up until November, when we started seeing the new new child, new kid in the block, Omicron coming in. And then you now see saw Omicron replacing in December, replacing, uh, trying to replace Delta. And then we saw this other lineage. That's one lineage we saw B1575 just jumping, and which was not so common, but we saw it carrying mortality in a particular state in Nigeria and it didn't continue. Then you can see that this continues, that Omicron continues to dominate up right now. But once in a while, as of February, we also see a bit of uh, CCL Delta coming in. And yet you can see that Omicron is the dominating force up until now. So that's the role, what we are seeing. And this is also some of the uh, concentration of the, from the next clade where we see history concentration of delta variants there so these are details about what what the kind of mutations we have the type of um, uh, omicron variant we have we can see that dominate the dominating strain or uh, uh, sublineage is the ba11 in nigeria so these are for africa and uh, i don't know how much time i have but a, quite a lot of uh, data from africa is here Represented in Omicron, we have about over 12,000 uh, 12, uh, sequences submitted from Africa uh, to Africa from Africa, and we also saw in terms of um, Delta over 31,000 sequences from Africa, and then in Alpha we have over 3,307. You can see the magnitude of some of these ones that Delta is over 31,000, while Omicron is almost uh, 12,000 in, in quite a, a short time. So there is a lot of it, and it's also showing the output of what is coming from Africa. So other variants that were reported in Africa 
is a beta variant which was so much in South Africa and Southern Africa, about 13,000 of it. We didn't have much of it from Nigeria. The ETA variant, which is the so-called Nigerian UK variant, we have over 1,500. Many of them were from Nigeria, Senegal, and West African countries. You also saw this, uh, the, this uh, B156. A few of them, four of the sequences were found in Africa, particularly in Ghana and Liberia. So the B1318 was 794, which is also the, also another variant found much in Nigeria and other West Africa. They all carry various uh, mutations in the uh, free cleavage sites. They also carry mutation in other places. So we also found Kappa and so many other, other ones until other lineages. So these are some of the data, new data we, data we have showing some of the, uh, our, our, we're looking at our 1,000 genomes we submitted. These are very interesting data we are, we are, we are uh, about to publish. And that's, these are the various lineages of data we have seen. We have seen that AY36 continues to be, was the highest, uh, the most common data variant uh, uh, lineage we had in Nigeria. And they were the one accounting for reinfection and vaccine uh, breakouts in Nigeria, together with these 109 uh, sequences. So thank you so much and uh, for listening to me. These are my team and these are our support. Okay, so so thank, also, yeah. thank you. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Dr. Amato, for this um, lovely talk. Um, before I open up the floor for questions, um, I really want to first um, praise the work that you've been doing. Um, Dr. Amato and I, we've known each other for quite some years, and he has been really advocating for the need to build capacity in-house. Um, it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic like this to um, really call to awareness the need for African countries to be able to um, use their um, skill sets um, indoors to be able to uh, work towards a good and healthy society. So it's, it's an interesting kind of story to think about where you were when we first met. Um, and where you are now um, and the transition of that. And I, there's many people in here who don't know your story. I, hopefully at some point you'll get a chance to share that before we get off this call. Um, so I just wanted to share that thanks um, and a congratulations to you as well for all the effort that you've done. Um, so with that, if there are any questions, feel free to raise your hand. Um, I will call on folks um, in the order as the hand raise appears on my screen. Um, so yeah. Hi, Chase, go ahead. Hey, thanks so much for that uh, presentation. It was really interesting. Um, I was just wondering if um, kind of like, early on with Omicron when uh, kind of reports and numbers were coming out of South Africa, if the global response to South Africa um, impacted the way that like the CDC in Nigeria, for example, kind of if it affected conversations or kind of the way that you all talked about 
how you were surveying or kind of how you how you how you were communicating that globally if kind of global responses to South Africa affected that for you all. Thank you so much, Chase. It's really nice. Thanks for your, your kind words. I mean, this is a very, 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 very important question you are asking because um, it was, we were directly involved. And uh, how science, uh, I mean, how politics can affect science, how uh, politics can affect uh, uh, transparency in science. I mean, we, we're all committed to throwing out data, like I told you, uh, and South Africa, uh, throughout that, uh, were able to detect the Omicron and they were punished for it. Actually, I suffered also from, from it because when we detected the uh, Omicron in, in, in the country, it, was, it wasn't easy. And uh, because uh, shortly after that, they were, Nigeria was even placed on restriction for it but the the, the 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 main thing the main problem for me was actually my lab detected the earliest omicron on gsage we detected omicron as at 17th october from an inbound traveler from ghana and we uploaded it to gsage and i the first after about a week i got a an email from um Shelly, uh, Shelly Hall from uh, Johns Hopkins University then. And she was asking me, I saw this record from, she said, you have been sequencing, apparently you have the earliest record. I, I told her, I don't know this will not, whether this will not cause a problem for us. And it did actually, because um, uh, I got some, some retributions from, from that, uh, which is not really uh, helpful, which will not help science, but we are still committed to being transparent, but we, we hope that we will not be made to suffer for this type of science when we are open, both Africa and Africa. Africa felt that we were punished for being transparent with our data. Thank you. Great, any other questions from the audience? Um, maybe I can go ahead. I didn't raise my hand, I'm just starting to speak. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Ndodo, for this um, really elaborate presentation. It makes me very proud um, coming from East Africa to see that we do have such um, capacity in the continent. And even though the pandemic happened and um, it wasn't such a pleasant occurrence, it still not is, but um, it's great to see that there's great potential that has actually been existing in countries um, and that this potential is actually being put to work now. Uh, with the um, adequate and appropriate support for getting from partners. Um, I'm from South Sudan, and um, based on our experience with Ebola preparedness and the COVID-19 response, um, it is only when the pandemic occurred that our laboratory network started to expand. Uh, previously, across the 80 counties, we only had one reference lab, uh, but now we're able to do PCR um, in remote areas as well. So um, the pandemic did bring um, a a good site to it, let me say. Mm -hmm. um, my other question is, um, I know that during my time, um, when I was still back home, um, we, we sent, I believe, um, three samples to, um, to Nigeria for genomic sequence, et cetera. Um, and I know that the resources are limited, but um, 
is your center willing to provide um, technical support um, to other laboratories in within the African region, um, leaving alone, you know, support from donors like um, the U.S., Canada, European countries? Um, is is your center and is the country willing to provide support um, to 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 build up technical capacity within the African continent for African laboratories? Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for your, your comments. Uh, we are glad to see that uh, Africa has seen the need to build capacity. You know, I kept emphasizing it, building capacity, preparing our health, knowing that help would, will, may not always come. So uh, you can see that many African countries are really taking up the, the, this thing. Like currently in Nigeria, per se, we have a lot of molecular labs now with basic molecular biology, PCR stuff a lot. So we are willing to also collaborate. Uh, that's the next phase. Africa CDC have been so central, so wonderful in support. I mean, building capacity across Nigeria, having not only Nigeria, across Africa. We have a, a Pan-African genomic network every Tuesday. We meet together in sharing our knowledge, sharing our expertise, doing our papers together. One science paper already, we have another one ongoing with South Africa and all that. So. This, these are really what has really kept Africa, sharing our skills, sharing our network, and training, organizing trainings, uh, genomics training, bioinformatics training for all Africans. So we have, we received a grant uh, recently, in fact today, uh, a FAGE grant, which we hope to uh, begin to, uh, we are gonna use it for training. We have to do some regional training for Africans to come to our lab. We have skills for both terminarium, we have skill for NGS, uh, MySeq. In fact, like I told, we plan to have a Nova 6, 6,000 and next uh, uh, 2,000. So many platforms coming in before the end of the year into our lab. And so we would like to have those. Uh, my, my DG is very passionate about we uh, supporting other African countries, you know, so we'll be willing to uh, uh, have uh, even help train and build the capacity for six African countries. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I just had one more. Um, one of your lessons learned was uh, always be prepared. And I thought it was uh, amazing how uh, I can't remember specifically which lab, but it went from like one lab to over 160 in the country. Um, I feel like a problem with public health is if once the problem goes away, the interest goes away at maintaining it and kind of the public health workforce and funding specifically. Um, do you foresee that potentially being a problem or do you think that this has created enough momentum that it'll keep going and how do you hope to kind of maintain that, that energy? Just thanks once again. I mean, you really, you are very, very, uh, Point uh, right on the point, uh, right on the dots on it. So that's also a problem, maintaining the momentum, continuing to persevere. But we are seeing that this might be a different time. Uh, people are really uh, gearing towards. We have received requests from labs who just don't want to continue to only do COVID testing. They want to be involved in our LASA network. We have networks. We have, in fact, we have Ebola network. We have all these ones. So we have told them that they use, if you have this molecular platform, you have made huge investment to get these things. 
you can also de de deploy them into other pathogens, other platforms, which they are using. But you know that many, we have from our experience, not all the 160 labs are viable. Some of them may not maintain because uh, the cause, many of them will want to, one or two things may, may discourage them, they may not. But if you have 160, even if it's 60 of them could not perform, you, at least you can go to 100, which keeps you at a very, very good uh, shape. And we are also not thinking about molecular when right now my current DG is planning to uh, build the capacity, advance, uh, I mean, expand our genomics capacity to also increase sequencing across the, the continent, uh, uh, the country right now. But it's also an initiative that other countries are also trying to fund. But you are right. The problem is to maintain the momentum. But I guess with this, what we have learned right now is sufficient for us to uh, not allow it to go back to squalor. Thank you. Great. So, question from the chat. Um, and Solomon asked, what efforts are currently ongoing to develop vaccines locally? Okay. The, thank you, Solomon. Uh, we, it's, it's also something we are thinking about, you know, we we are we are not there is a grant right now a, a funding we are looking out to actually it's been approved for us because uh we are not only interested in just doing genomics you are not interested in only just detecting we want to understand And it's actually, we were able to, we already have a concept note of messenger RNA vaccine in country, which we shared with our authorities, but they were like, oh no, right now, continue on. Dr. Emeka, I think your network is, um, is stalling, so we can't hear you. Sorry. Can you hear me your now? Network. Yes, we can hear you now. Okay, so we have this effort, there's plans on sequencing. Right now, we are trying to acquire a protein purification system and a lot of uh, analytical tools, different kinds of analytic tools that will help us in, in the vaccine development. And then if you, are, you hear, WHO is also planning to encourage development of um, uh, messenger vaccine in Africa. So Nigeria and other African countries are also benefiting from it. So it's something that we are, a lot of efforts being made to have a local high quality vaccine development. Thank you. If there are any other questions, Feel free to raise your hand. Well, um, Dr. Mecca, while we wait to see if anyone else has a question, um, just curious if you think back to the last, you know, I don't know, is it about eight, 10 years now um, that you've been in this space? 
you've worked on Ebola, not at the level of being formally in the CDC, but as an academic, but now moving to the CDC, um, what, um, if, if back then, did you envision being able to do what you're able to do now? Um, I suspect you may say yes, but curious to think about, you know, looking back from where you've started from to where you are now, and also thinking to where the future will be, um, especially in political climates like Nigeria, um, the reception to be able to use science when need be um, to protect society. Um, and to think about it in terms of monitoring um, diseases like lots of fever that has been kind of fluctuating throughout the country. Um, so yeah, so just curious to think about like if you were to reflect right now, about eight to 10 years ago to where you are now and kind of think to what the future would hold, what that looks like. Not sure. Hello, yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Ifoma. I mean, you, we, but the both of us, you know, we know ourselves, you know, the connection was made from Yale. And, um, you know, the passion we have, and that passion sustained what we are doing in the university, building that kind of uh, laboratory with capacity to do good science you know, which we don't always have in Africa when you get back home. So we needed to have something to fall back on when you, 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 you get back to do science and to protect people. So I think right now we have moved to, uh, moved, uh, to a higher scale. And that movement was really one of the things I was talking about, the forward-looking leadership that saw before the pandemic came, uh, there was effort that was made to get me moved from the academia to come into the public health space to support genomics, not uh, knowing that something big would be coming. And uh, if we if we hadn't made that move, I don't know why where genomic surveillance would have been in Nigeria right now. So that uh, movement paved the way. And when I got there like two years ago, there was nothing, no genomics capacity, no sequencing capacity, no nothing was there. But right now, within two years, we have built capacity. We have built uh, a world-class lab. I mean, we have a, a lot of things, a lot of things. Uh, uh, and we're getting more, like you're asking about the future. We want to have capacity to respond in-country. We have capacity to do all our diagnostics in-country. In multiple uh, pathogen detection using different platforms. We have multiple uh, bid as a luminous technology. We have a um, targaret. We have uh, a lot of things. So we are interested in building the capacity, not only for doing genomics. We are also interested in, in development, biomanufacturing, being able to develop our uh, extraction kit, develop our diagnosis kit in country. So this is where we are looking at. And um, just like you pointed out, the political space in Nigeria sometimes can be very discouraging. Sometimes people don't appreciate so much uh, what we do, but we, 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 we are bound to keep on pushing the, 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 the frontiers to keep on doing new things for our people. It may not be so easy for us, 
but we will continue to do as we continue to get funding support we will continue to do it and that's really our passion to keep on we can all we need somebody to be back in africa to really uh, galvanize and change the thinking and make things possible in africa because there's a lot of potential in africa which can be utilized and uh, uh, used to respond properly in terms of uh, outbreaks that we're prone to right now in nigeria we are ready for like ebola magbog whatever we're prepared we don't need any outside uh, kind of uh, intervention before any of these things can be done if we receive them that's fine but we are ready for now and that's really what we want to always have not only for nigeria but other african countries should be that ready thank you great thank you dr Mata, for this uh, wonderful talk um thank you to the participants for um being here to listen to and share his insight and the lessons he's learned um through the covid 19 pandemic and what the future holds um, I do want to let you all know to be on the lookout for future series coming up in the space of um, surveillance and other public health lessons that um, LMIC countries have learned through um, APHN's collaborating organizations, um, in particular the Latino Public Health Network, um, Innovator Society, JB Grants, and the Asia Pacific Public Health Network will also be um, sponsoring their own um, sessions coming up in um, the very near future. So please be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll definitely communicate that to you. And we'll also plan to share the recording to this event um, within the next 24 hours. So thank you once again. Thank you, Dr. Ametha. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to talk to us. Um, it's been a very, very insightful conversation. Thank you so much. So honored to be in your midst. And we're so grateful being associated with Johns Hopkins University. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Dr. Ifoma. We're grateful. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.